Well, good morning. So glad to, to see you and to be with you today and to hear you sing. Y'all sound awesome. You always sing like that? Give, give yourselves a hand. Way to go. Howl should be, should be proud. Oftentimes, it's tempting in worship to sit there and just watch and take it in. But church is something we should go and do, not something we should go and watch and then evaluate. Church is something we should be involved in and be a part of and belong to. And so I'm glad that you guys are demonstrating that. It's a privilege to track with you from afar. I've had the privilege of, of leading worship here before, uh, ever since my friend Lyndall became your senior pastor. And so I've loved being a part and, and having conversations with Lyndall and encouraging him as he just brags on y'all. It's so fun to watch what God's doing here. Lyndall and I go way back, and uh, probably 20 years plus. And uh, he has been a great influencer in my life over the last eight years specifically since we became uh, staff mates in our former churches. And uh, so glad that you guys get to walk with him and to be led by him. You know, one of the things that I've always been challenged by and impressed with with him is, you know, for someone like me, when I'm trying to assimilate a bunch of information, I feel like more of a, you know, I'm just a PC or something trying to make it all happen. But Lyndall's like a supercomputer. And in his mind, he can assimilate all kinds of stuff and hear the Lord clearly through it and create a great path and plan. So I'm so glad that God's put him here to process life with you and to lead your church. He's worthy of following. He is one of my favorite people in the world. And so I'm so glad that he is your pastor. It's a privilege for me to stand with you today, and I get to do it on my birthday. Today's my birthday. I have a, you know, I, I got to turn, a, well, thank you. I got to turn 52 today, so um, I, I, I'm loving spending it with you guys. It's a privilege to do that with you. You know, you guys have been walking through Acts. I know it's probably weird that I'm down here, but I just hate this chasm right here. So I would rather be here with you and just let's have a conversation. I hope I'm not making anybody uncomfortable. If I am, you'll deal with it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so walking through Acts, uh, listening to some of the, the, the um, messages that have happened, watching some of the videos, just getting to watch you guys process through Acts. Uh, Acts is a fun book. I, I love that he challenged you last week. I think I heard him say, if I could really leave you with one thing, it would be that you would really become people of the word, that you would really spend time in the word. And I, and I just want to follow that up and encourage you to do so. So often, the older we get, and, and I'm not trying to step on any toes because I'm 52, and, and there are days I feel old, and there are days I feel young, but the reality is the older we get, and any one of us can, can give testimony to this, the more, the, the more tempting it is to say, oh, I know that. Uh, I've got that down. And to not press in as much to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to, to be people of the word, like Lyndall was encouraging you. To be people of the word and to know that, as he encouraged you last week, that the Christian faith is simple. It, it doesn't mean it's easy. He said that last week. And when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. Because those of us who have a little gray in our beards would tell you stories of what it's like to pursue God and to know that there's a cost to discipleship. Bonhoeffer wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. This, the Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. 
And sometimes stuff happens because sin is in the world. You know, when the fall came, the world broke. And that's why bad stuff is in the world. When people struggle with the, well, if God's a loving God, why does bad stuff happen? That's the simple answer. And maybe I oversimplify it because I think God just loves us and he wants to shape us through our pain. But I think it's a simple answer. The world broke. Jesus came to make a way, but we have the results of a broken world. And so we get to pursue God in the midst of all that and to know that he's there and that he's walking with us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. I loved his reminders last week. Well, Acts 1 through 12 is really about the Jewish church. Peter considered the apostle to the Jews. That, that's where you'll find most of the stories in Acts 1 through 12. You see the conversion of Saul to Paul. We'll get there in a second. But really, most of that is about the Jewish church. But Acts 13 is when a change comes. There's a change that happens in 13. And so we move from the Jewish church to the Gentile church, which is the rest of the world. That's what, where Acts 13 starts and moves forward through the rest of the New Testament. That, that time is a direct result of God's movement in sending people out. We are a part of that. Do you realize that? First Baptist Weatherford is a result of the missionary movement of Acts 13. You are. I am. It all started right there. We could kind of trace our lineage back to it. It's God's missionary movement. It was God taking the message to the Gentile word, uh, Gentile world, world, and he did this through Saul. Saul was a Jew. Isn't that interesting? Paul, Saul became Paul. Everybody knows that story, right? He was on the road, and God blinded him, and he met Jesus. Perry paraphrase right there. So he, he met Jesus, and Paul is a guy God would use to birth the church. And he was a Jew. But here was Peter, a non-Jew, ministering to the Jewish church, Acts 1 through 12. And here's Paul, a Jew, taking it to the Gentiles. Where he was birthed isn't where he stayed. God sent him out. And so he went by his, his Roman name the rest of his life. He was called to take the message to the Gentiles, so he did. This movement is where you get all the letters to Ephesians and Philippi and Colossa and, and Galatians and Thessalonians. You, you get all these because of this movement is when God birthed all of that. And in Acts 13, it contains the core message of Christianity. It's the embodiment of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Acts 1-12 through 12 was centered around the Jewish world. God's chosen people. It spoke of the coming Messiah who now has come. Peter was talking about that all the time. And here is God so loved the world that Paul is picking up and taking it to the world. Up to that time, you know, the church in Jerusalem wasn't really a sending church. It wasn't a church that said, well, let's go plant in Philippi. Let's go plant in these different places. Acts 1 through 12, the spread of Christianity really actually happened through persecution. 
and stuff happened, and they would fear for their lives, and they would scatter like roaches in the light, and they would take off, but then they'd find one another, and they'd begin to gather, and they'd find one another, and they'd like-minded, and they'd say, oh, I'm a follower of the way. Are you follower of the way? Yes. And so it began to spread that way, not because we planted something, but because they were running. But now here comes Acts 13, and God is going to send some of his very best to the known world at the time to spread the gospel. Now, Acts 1.8 says this. You, you read this weeks ago, but let me come back to it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus is saying to his followers here, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Acts 1 through 12, and in Samaria and the ends of the earth, Acts 13 and following. And he knows that the Spirit of God will empower them. He says that. He says the Spirit of God will empower you. And he says all that in one tiny sentence. But here's what I want you to notice today. One of the things I want you to notice today. Acts 1 through 12 takes about 10 years. I didn't know that until I studied. Those 12 chapters take about 10 years. Jesus says in a sentence what takes 10 years to happen. And why is that? Because God often doesn't work like a microwave. Oftentimes he's more like a crock pot because spiritual transformation a.k.a. making disciples, doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. I want to say that again. Because God doesn't work like a microwave. That's why it took a while. Oftentimes, he's more like a crock pot because spiritual transformation, disciple making, takes time. Transformation, sometimes it's quick. We all know those stories. But most times, and I bet most of us would say that about our own lives. It takes time. This is a great life lesson for us to really hold on to. That God does things quickly sometimes, but usually it's that so slow process to get the flavors to blend just right. But we want it in this instant microwave world, don't we? It's a want what I want and want it right now. When my computer doesn't work, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a child. I'll just, I'll just admit that. When, it, when it's something so simple as my printer won't just go print, and it spits it out, I'm just mad. And that's the way we live. We want it now. But being a Christ follower, becoming a disciple, takes time. And we need to be faithful and patient to what God's doing in our lives. When we read verses about spiritual maturity or sharing the gospel or how Christ lived and died for the church, and he, he loved her the way husbands ought to love their wives. We, we kind of like wonder, why aren't we doing this? And it's because our hearts has to catch up to those things. Those are big things. And our hearts have to, have to catch up to those. And it takes Scripture, the weight of Scripture, bearing down on our lives like the pressure that makes a fine diamond. We need the Word. Hence, coming back to Lindell's Word to encourage you to be people of the word. We need the gravity of the word in our lives shaping us. Have you ever been on a mission trip? You know, I, I think there are a few places uh, where you have that kind of opportunity to 
be challenged to get out of your comfort zone. God forbid we in the American church would get out of our comfort zone. We get out of our comfort zone and we share our faith. Being on mission is a great opportunity to do that. Uh, one time when, uh, years ago when I was on one of the mission trips, we were at a university setting on the West Coast. And so it was a 30,000-ish person campus, and there was 40 of us. And so we each had a partner, and we just fanned out across, across the uh, campus. And so my partner and I went to the music school. We were music students. We thought, hey, that's a great place to make a connection with some people. So we walk in there, and we were. We were able to make a connection of singing or playing or music or whatever. But as soon as we turned the, the conversation to the gospel, we were just summarily shut down. They did not want to talk about it. So we would try to wind it back around. Nope, we're not talking about that. And some people would even make fun of us. They would oppose us. And so we just thought, all right, so this is not going the way we'd hoped it would. So let's go somewhere else on campus. So we leave that building, this big music school building. We go walking out across this big courtyard. And there's a a lady who you could tell wasn't right out of high school, but um, maybe she was late to college or whatever. And she was sitting there all alone on on this blanket. And we walked up to her and we began to to engage her. And she had books open and she was studying. And as soon as we walked up and started talking, she just closed the books. And it was as if she was waiting for someone to walk up. And we looked at each other and we just start talking to her. And we're just, you know, kind of making chit-chat at first. Well, then we start steering it to the gospel. And she looked at us. Her eyes got a little big, and it was like she just leaned into everything we were saying. She wanted to hear, and when I said the name Jesus, she furrowed her brow, and she said, Jesus, is that a person? I don't know that name. That was the first time in my life, maybe the only time in my life, I've ever heard someone say literally they had never heard the name Jesus. So we just looked at each other and backed up and said, okay, let's, let's, let's take a few steps back and start laying some foundation. And we just start telling her the stories. We went back. We're, we're kind of going, and we're getting excited, and she's asking questions. And we're just to that point. You could tell her heart was ready just to that point to ask her if she wanted to receive Christ for herself. And she just happened to glance at her watch and looked again. She's, I'm so sorry, I'm going to be late. And she just starts scooping up her stuff in her bag. And in 10 seconds, she's walking down the courtyard and we're just looking at each other like what just happened and so we never knew what happened to her we prayed for her the rest of our mission trip we asked the lord because she was so ready she was ripe for the gospel we just asked the lord for someone else to come along and show her the way some of the things we're going to talk about we experienced in that time on that campus There's a story in Acts 13, and and trust me, in case you're wondering, we're not doing the whole book of Acts. That's way too long, so if you're nervous, you don't have to be. Let me read Acts 13, just a few verses, starting in 4, all right? I think it'll be on the screen. This is the ESV that I'm reading out of. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis... They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. 
when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, this is Bar-Jesus that we're talking about, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Will you not stop making crooked? I keep scooping over that word. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I want to draw some things out of this passage for us. First, I want you to notice Luke reminds us that these two men were sent out by the Spirit of God. Do not miss that church. It's so easy to just kind of rest in our own ability. But the Holy Spirit abides in you. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit is not one to fear. For me, and I, I'm not trying to step on any toes here. I'm just going to speak the truth. The church I grew up in was a Baptist church. And I love the Baptist church. I have my roots to thank for it. But I much more like to be considered a Christ follower. When I was a kid, the Trinity was much more like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. But the scripture says it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not one to fear, friends. He abides in you. Jesus said, I'm going so that the Holy Spirit can come. Why would we fear him? He abides in you right now. And when we go out to be involved in things, in the same way, God will empower you that he empowered them. They were sent out by the Spirit of God. Man, don't miss that. Also notice that if in those times, most of the time, if you go read on about Paul's journeys, most of the time, if there was a Jewish synagogue in the church, where, in, the, in the town he was going to, that's where he started. He didn't just go to a public place. He went to the synagogue because he knew people were listening. And he knew that there were people that would, would resonate with the fact that, God, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. That Jesus was sent. That he came from the lineage of King David. That he's referred to as a high priest. He knew people would, re would respond to that. And that was his door to walk in. And then take it beyond the synagogue into the city. He was proactive in his missional work. And notice that he never, he never keeps the word from somebody. He always walks forward. And he knew it would ring true. And he knew that they believed the scriptures. So he started there. Also notice that John is there with him. It's just one little sentence. And he had John with him. Here's what I want to bring out for us. The older I get, 
I'm, uh, like I said, I'm 52 today, and I'm, I'm young at heart. Uh, I'm always going to be a kind of a mischievous kind of person. Ask my wife and my children. They will tell you that. I like to laugh a lot. I think life should be enjoyed. I think church should be enjoyed. And we shouldn't walk around just like we're sucking on lemons all the time. I think there's a lot of fun to be had with our church brethren. We should laugh and enjoy life together. And, and, and so for me, I'm young at heart. But what I realize, because I'm 52 and I've got gray coming, I'm actually in the seat of a father that Timothy talks about. I, I'm not in the, in the seat where my young friend Kevin is. I'm old enough to be his dad. I, I'm spiritually speaking, I'm in the seat of a father. And many of you are as well, but you haven't moved into the seat of the father and are actively pressing into people's lives. That's what Paul's demonstrating for us here. He is in the seat of a father and he's pouring into John and he's showing John how to do it, where to do it, what it's gonna cost. Bonhoeffer wrote a great book called The, the Cost of Discipleship. And that's what Paul is living out in front of these guys. And if you look, they went two by two to minister and most times it was a father and a son, spiritual position. So who are you a father to? Or who are you being mentored by? Who's pouring into you? That takes humility for all of us. It takes humility to say, I, I need someone to pour into me. And it takes humility to say, I'm gonna carve away time in my schedule to pour into someone. I don't want you to miss that church. I think that's part of the future of First Baptist. No, Lyndall and I did not talk about that. But I think that's a part of the church, capital C, not just First Baptist, of us pouring into one another and empowering one another to be active and to be strong in the faith. In verse six, we meet Bar-Jesus. It's a weird name. I get it. Weird name. He's a false prophet, really. He's an advisor, really a sorcerer, but he's a the, the right-hand man of the second guy we're going to meet, Sergius Paulus, who's the Roman governor of the island. So who is Bar-Jesus? Well, Bar means son of. So he's actually saying, I, I'm a son of Jesus. And he's saying, I'm the stuff. I speak for God. I, I speak for the Jewish people. Oh, I'm a sorcerer and a magician. I'm all these things at once. Here's the deal. He's actually a pretty true representation of today's spirituality. Take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, shake it up, take a little of that out, a little of that out, believe what you want. If it makes it happy, healthy, and wealthy, have at it. That was Bar-Jesus. And that guy is the right-hand man of the governor. That's a problem. That is a problem. So there's our setting. You got Bar Jesus, full of who knows what, speaking. And here's Sergius Paulus, who has reached out to Paul and Barnabas. He says, I, I want to hear what you have to say. 
Well, let's look at a couple things we see from that. Some are open to God's word and some aren't. Like I just said, Sergius Paulus reached out and said, I want to hear. Be encouraged that there are people out there who do want to hear. The story of my Chinese friend. She was ready. There are people who want to hear and they're open to it. Maybe they've heard from lots of bar Jesuses in their lives and they're done with that. Also, know that Sergius Paulus had heard all the things that he's been saying, but now he hears of Paul and he hears of Barnabas and he says, I, I think I need to hear what they're talking about. There are people who will be open to what you have to say. Some who are going out with the gospel, they're going to be opposed. You know, in our story, when we went to music school, we get to talk to people. They didn't want to hear it, and they, some even made fun. But, you know, I used to take that personally. And I think, if I'm honest, I, I'd probably say I took that personally at that moment in time. But maturity and pursuing Christ has made me realize they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Jesus. All I have to do is open my mouth and be obedient. And that's all you have to do. Whether it's a classmate, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, someone you work with, just be obedient when God says, speak. There are people who are open, and there are people who will oppose the gospel as well. Now, Bar Jesus, think about it, he had a lot to lose. Because if Paul is right, everything Bar Jesus has been filling uh, Sergius Paulus's mind with, what? uh-oh, that's wrong. So he's going to be out of a job. He can't confess, can't believe that Christ is by, uh, that, that uh, belief and faith alone brings you into a relationship with Jesus. He can't do it. Well, why are other people, why are people that way? I, I think you'll find that pride and, and materialism are part of that. Pride in that if if what I've been doing my whole life isn't right, man, my whole paradigm's gonna shift. And that means I gotta admit I was wrong all these years. I did not tell this story before, but I just had the thought. In the church I was at in Louisiana, our music associate had been a former Catholic. And I'm not down in Catholics. Do not hear that. Everybody agree? Sam's not down in Catholics. I'm telling you Ed's story. He was hired to be a player, one of the best keyboardists I've ever played with. And I've played with a lot of people. And incredible. And he, he tells the story that he would just come and he wouldn't listen. He was hired gun. He was there to play. And all of a sudden, the, priest, the pastor's speaking something and he's thinking to himself, I've never heard that in my church. He was 40 years old. 42 when he started going there. And then that just makes him listen a little bit. So suddenly, week by week by week, he starts hearing more and more things that he thinks, wait a minute, <laughs> this is much different than what was told to me. And he had to come to this point of realizing Jesus and Jesus alone, not the law, but Jesus is the way. Now he was a nominal, his words, he was a nominal Catholic at best. It's not like he was going to mass all the time. It was what he was raised in. But he realized by my saying yes to this means I got to admit that what I'd been doing all this time was wrong and it's going to cause something with my family. 
which is what happened. But that dude gave his life to Jesus. We got to baptize him. Man, it's awesome. But he experienced that himself of realizing, man, there's something more. There's something different than I've always known. And his pride had to go away. The second thing you might see is materialism. And I'm not talking, I'm not saying that for a second that you can't be a wealthy Christ follower. You can be. The problem comes when we begin to make idols of our lifestyle. And we say, oh, that's the deal. And we're not willing to say yes in obedience to God with what he says to do with it. Does that make sense? So pride and materialism, you'll often find, be a stumbling block for people. And like I said, Bar-Jesus had a lot to lose by Paul being right. And Paul comes in with boldness. I can just hear him saying, you know what? We can't figure out who God is on our own. And this man's whispering in your ear. He is no kind of Jesus person. (laughs) I could just hear Paul laying him out. We need to understand that that that's spiritual warfare. I think Paul saw that. We're going to get to a, a verse here in a second, but Paul sees the spiritual warfare going on and what's at stake. In verse 9, Paul, it says, But Paul, who was also Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. I think Paul had all that in mind, and he just puts his gaze on that dude. Anybody ever had that person in your life that could do that? For me, it was my dad. Kind of a man of few words sometimes, but when he just locked through his eyebrows at you, you knew something was fitting to go down. <laughs> That's the way it was. And I just picture that's Paul. He just locks on bar Jesus, looks intently. And he knows he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's fixing to deliver a word in that moment. Just know that when you speak up, the Holy Spirit will do that for you as well. You you don't have to, to talk fancy. You don't have to yell. You don't have to be entertaining. If you go look through all the Gospels, you look through all of the New Testament, you don't find a bunch of yelling, you don't find a a bunch of gimmicks going on, you just people find people being clear. That's what you have to be. You don't have to yell, you don't have to be gimmicky, you don't have to be entertaining. You just have to be clear. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. I, I would imagine Paul was just kind of like, hey, I know who God is. And who you're proclaiming him to be is not it. And and then I just think in his mind, he knows Jesus is a son of God. God sent him so we could have a relationship. He died on the cross. He rose again. And that's by faith alone in him. That's how you have eternal life. He knows that. And that's the gospel in him. And Paul came to bring the true gospel to the people. Can you imagine that exchange between Paul and Bar-Jesus? You know, every once in a while, I've got a couple friends, and we have stupid, meaningless conversations that are based around, wouldn't it be fun when we get to heaven to say, hey, God, can we roll video on this? Like, I'd love to see the Red Sea. I'd love to see a valley of dry bones get up. I would love to see Paul's look on his face, just like, mm, just, like just, just putting it to him in his, with his eyes. And then he goes on to say this. Now, church, I don't recommend this as your evangelism strategy. So let me just say this. But verse 10, he just brings down biblical judgment on the guy. That probably might not be the thing for us, but here's what Paul did. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, 
full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Man, he's passionate. He's so passionate. He knows the gospel. He knows what it's at stake. And look at the contrast between these two men. Paul's filled with the Spirit, and Bar-Jesus is filled with deceit. Paul is filled with righteousness, and this guy's an enemy of righteousness. Paul's speaking the truth. This guy's filled with villainy. Paul is declaring the ways of the Lord, and this guy is making the way of the Lord crooked. Paul is so passionate because he knows what's at stake here. In Matthew, he says to us, Matthew says to us, hey, for any of you that make one of my little ones stumble, it would be better for you if you just tied a millstone around your neck and just take a jump in the sea. That's a peri-paraphrase there, but that's what he said. He said, man, just get, it, get over. If you're going to make my little one stumble, just put a millstone on and jump on in the water. And Paul knows that is at stake. That the gospel, the way of the gospel is being intruded upon. And this guy is a stumbling block to the governor. Paul has the same kind of intensity in that. He knows this guy's telling people the wrong thing. I want to just encourage you when you speak with the Holy Spirit and you start to speak because he said he's empowered you, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Sometimes we in the American church, we just talk about God being a God of love. And that's where it ends. But he's so much more multifaceted in character than just being a God of love. He's a God of righteousness. He's jealous for his name's sake. I could, tell, I did, I could just talk for 30 minutes about things about God like that. We don't have that time, so I won't. But he's more than a God of love. He's a, he's a God of truth. So speak the truth in love. We don't be a jerk about it. We just speak the truth. That's what Paul's doing. And we see, we see that, that Paul's just faithful to the gospel. Now, the next verse is kind of where things get a little weird, which they sometimes do in Acts. And so, verse 11, he says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. This is fitting for a guy who was trying to take darkness, sin, and unbelief, and wrong belief, and pass it off as light. That's what Paul's giving him. And he goes on to say, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Well, we live in a postmodern age, don't we? You know, we're supposed to believe in or accept everything and be tolerant of everything as long as we don't have a Christian point of view, which is kind of interesting. Again, a whole nother sermon. But let's look at that opposition that they, that they were going through. And just notice a couple things. Church, we, we need to expect it. Things are, uh, people are going to oppose us. But let's not break down and run for the hills because we're being persecuted. I, I remember seeing a, a kid just talk about all their persecution. When we asked why, they were like, well, I shared the gospel and somebody laughed. Well, granted, for them, they feel like they're being persecuted. 
But that's not persecution. That's disagreement. We, we should expect people to disagree with us. Now, if they start throwing rocks at you, uh, maybe we have a whole different conversation. But we should expect opposition because we hold the truth. And the world does not. And when we begin to speak the truth, it, they're going to oppose us. The evil one is in our culture. The world broke when sin entered. And that's why bad stuff happens. Maybe that's an oversimplification. But people ask that question and students want to argue about it sometimes. If God's a good God, why did bad things happen? Man, maybe I'm just too simple-minded. But I think the world broke when sin entered it. Bad stuff started. End of story. That is the deal. We don't have to evaluate it further than that. The fall came, and so did the fall for the rest of the world. And it broke, and bad stuff started happening. And and along with it came all kinds of things. And we, as Christ followers, need to know that those kinds of things, opposition is going to come when we try to speak the word. One of the things I love, if if you fast forward to the end of Acts 13, Paul was basically run out of town. Paul and Barnabas basically run out. But he says that he leaves filled with joy because he stood firm. You can just walk away. And that's what he does. Also notice that, that we get to show the world that the grace of Jesus is enough. When, you know, when we face adversity, it's an opportunity to advertise the greatness of Jesus. That he is enough. And also know that When you're living the gospel, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit, if you have entered into a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit abides in you. You are never alone. And if he's given you something to say, given you something to do, he's going to empower you to do it. You know, the the last couple years have been interesting for my family. Um, Went through some hard stuff, and we were saying, God, we're tracking with you. We know what you're calling us to, but we're also seeing this. And over the last two years, we've watched the Lord just bring, ca- bring order from chaos and bring vision from question. And we're so excited to experience that. The Holy Spirit abides in us, and he moves in us, and he makes straight our paths. So remember, you're not alone. We've experienced that so much. We've grown as a family so much in the last two years, knowing that we're not alone. So we've talked about some are open to God's word and some aren't. And that some who are going out with the gospel will be opposed. And the last thing I would say is that remember uh, that some people embrace God's word and are radically changed. Look at what Sergius Paulus did. He says, verse 12 says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Right there we have the very first missionary convert. Acts 13, it's right there. The very first one. Some people will embrace what you're saying. So move forward in obedience. Church, you might just be surprised who God puts in front of you. If you're willing to step forward in obedience, step forward in faith with the boldness of Jesus, you might be surprised who he's put in front of you. Be faithful. Don't just be a nice person, but be an ambassador of the truth of the gospel.
You never know when there's a Sergius Paulus right in front of you. Let's pray together.